blessings. People of God, hallelujah. It is good to be here. It is good to be in the presence of the Lord. Uh, I am an, an Old Testament. I just love the Old Testament. <laughs> <laughs> Nine out of ten sermons that I do are on the Old Testament. And uh, I teach children's church quite a bit, and I teach the students at school. And uh, this last year, I realized I don't have any storyboards about Jesus. <laughs> that is just terrible. I've got them about Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar, Adam and Eve, Moses. I got it, but I don't have any... That's what happens when you love the New Testament. So today, because I love the New Testament, and because I believe the Lord the Lord has a message for us today. He's got a word for us. He's got new, uh, new stuff for us. 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 17. 2 Kings 5. Uh, today's sermon is entitled, Believing God to Work Miracles in You and Through You. Okay, this is my son's Bible. I can't even see it. Oh, that's good. I can see it now. That's better. Where's my what Bible? My purple Bible. I, sh I meant to bring it. You know what? I'll get it from Christiana. I'm going to send myself a note. It's not even mine, though. It's Christiana's. I bought it. I paid for it. <laughs> In possession, nine-tenths of the law. That's right. <laughs> my name is in it. It's not mine. Okay, ready? <clears throat> Second Kings 5. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier. Oh, you got to love it. This guy's got it going on. He was a valiant soldier, comma, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master, the king, and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, 
With this letter, I'm sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. (laughs) That cracks me up. You'd think the king would be a little more diplomatic, right? Oh, I'm sending him to your prophet. No, I'm sending you my servant Naaman that you can heal him of his leprosy. Love, king. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes. Am I God? (laughs) Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. Next verse, verse 8. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Notice we go straight from the king, ah, he's picking a fight. Elisha, like every good prophet, must have had people in the, um, in the palace. And they reported it to him. Elisha, who doesn't even like this king, there is, uh, they have an adversarial relationship. Uh, king Joram is the king of Israel. Guess who his dad is and his mother? Ahab and Jezebel. Before Jor- Joram was the second son, the first son was Azariah. I think I'm saying it right, Azariah. Azariah is the one who went into battle. 400 of his uh, priests, he comes in. Should I go to battle? Oh, yes, king, go to battle. You're going to win. Jehoshaphat is there, and Jehoshaphat says, uh, all these pagan priests, isn't there a, a prophet of God that we can ask? Oh, this is Ahab. And Ahab says, yeah, there's this one, but I hate him. He never says anything good about me, and he hates me. Jehoshaphat says, I'd like to hear from God, a godly prophet. The one prophet comes out, and uh, Ahab says, okay, Ahab says, what have you got? Oh, yes, king, go into battle. You're going to win. You're going to be victorious, oh, king. Ahab gets mad. These two hate each other. Ahab says to him, How many times do I have to make you promise, swear to God that you will tell me only the truth? Tell me what the word of the Lord is. (laughs) I don't think it's ever good to have that kind of relationship with the man of God. Okay, I just don't. But the prophet says to him, You're going to go into battle, you're going to die. Don't do it. Well, he doesn't listen. He listens to the 400 false prophets. He goes into battle, he dies. Uh, Azariah, his his first son, becomes a king. He only lives two years. And then this guy comes to power. And now Elisha says to this king a few chapters before, he goes, if it wasn't, he goes, it's only out of respect for Jehoshaphat 
that I'm here talking to. He goes, if it wasn't for Jehoshaphat, I wouldn't even look at you. This is the prophet of God. I wouldn't even look at you. I wouldn't even notice you. So now, the king gets this terrible letter. Heal Naaman, the valiant soldier of leprosy. And he's like on such bad terms, he can't even go to the prophet. But the prophet steps in. Because even though Naaman is not an Israelite, God cares about him. And God never, ever leaves us helpless. He never, ever leaves us helpless. Got to find it again because we're going to come back to that. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots, the whole entourage, you know, it was impressive. And he stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord as God and wave his hands over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Okay, the man is offended. He's a foreign dignitary. I don't know if you guys remember. I watched this on the, on the news. I'm, I'm sure you remember. I think it was the French macaron. Macaron, the president of France, came. And Donald Trump, oh my goodness, the pomp and ceremony. It was a big deal. Did we put on a show for Macron? I'm... I'm going to say it. I think I'm saying it right. Macron. Anyway, same thing. You got a foreign dignitary coming. He's coming with chariots. He's coming with horses. He's coming with gold and silver. And he goes up to the prophet's house and a messenger comes out. Eh, Go take a bath in the Jordan River. See ya. It's not bad enough that he has leprosy. That's not enough. Now, he is feeling absolutely demoted, diminished. I have leprosy. I'm in this foreign place, and they're not even recognizing who I am. I mean, a a servant tells me to, and he walks away. Scripture says he's in a rage. 
He's in a rage. Little tiny print. Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out, stand, call on the name of the Lord, wave his hand over the spot, cure me. Now, okay, now he's not only offended, so now he's going to play the game. Hey, you want me to go to your nasty Jordan River? Where I come from, where I come from, we got good rivers. Our rivers are beautiful, way better than your rivers. He actually did that. Are not Abana and far, 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 the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants, because servants are more humble, servants don't expect to be treated like a foreign dignitary. Servants are used to be told what to do and obeying. The servants of Naaman who cared for him, he must have been a good man because his servants cared about him, they went and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So Naaman went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And on the seventh time, when he came up out of the water, his flesh was restored and he became clean like that of a young boy. The story really doesn't begin with Naaman, and it doesn't begin with the man of God. The story really begins with a little slave girl who had been taken from her home. One day, she was a little kid playing in the yard with her friends. She was living in a little town in in northern Israel, playing, laughing, doing her chores, uh, playing with the cat and the dog and her friends, And life was good. And then the next day, she's taken as a captive by a a band of raiders. And she's turned into a slave. And she winds up in Naaman's house working for his wife. She could have been bitter. She could have been angry with God. She could have hated Naaman. She could have known about the prophet Elijah and kept her mouth shut. I'm glad he got leprosy. I'm glad you got it, and it couldn't happen to a nicer guy, and I'm not going to tell you what I know. You can just suffer and die like I'm suffering. But she didn't do that. What she did was, in her hard circumstance, because slavery is never like that great, She became a witness to the one true God, which is really quite extraordinary in itself. 
She was a miracle within the miracle. And she was the miracle within the miracle by having a forgiving, loving heart and being able to share, there's a prophet who can help you. She changed the course of Naaman's life, and I'm sure she changed the course of her own. She may have changed the course of uh, hundreds of people. Only God knows. But if you're in a bad situation that is unexplainable and you feel like it has nothing to do with anything that you have done, you're not responsible Perhaps God has you there to be a witness. Perhaps God has you there to be a warrior. When we go through hard times, that's when we start building spiritual muscle. All of a sudden, we have to exercise our strength of character. All of a sudden, we got to depend on God. All of a sudden... Faith comes into focus. God is always doing something good. He's always working the good, even in hard times. He's either making us a witness, or he's building us into a warrior, or both. Forgive. Love. Be God's love, and God will reward you for sure. Uh, This is uh, point number two. When God does a miracle or a healing, he first does a miracle in the person he's using as the conduit for the next miracle. Elisha. Elisha the prophet. I was... You know, the interesting thing about Elisha is that he was like uh, the apprentice under Elijah the prophet, right? So you got the great Elijah, and then you got Elisha, his apprentice. And Elijah's, you know, God tells him, I'm going to take you home. There's going to be a fiery chariot. Whoosh, it's going to come down. You're going to hop in, and you're going to go to heaven. You're not going to die. And everyone's excited about this, and everybody knows it's going to happen. And Elisha says, hey, master, before you leave, you know, can I ask you for something? And Elijah says, what do you want, my apprentice? I'd like a double portion of your anointing. Ooh, I, I just... I don't know why, but this gets me. Elijah says, Oh, you have asked for a hard thing. Really? I, the great Elijah, you want a double portion of my anointing? Whew. In Spanish, caramba, que leches, pero que está pasando por aquí? Right? <laughs> huh? Well, I tell you what, if you're with me, when God takes me away, you can 
It'll be done. If you're not, forget about it. He tries to bump Elisha off. Go get me some water. Nope, not going. You got to go. You can go. Not going. I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. Go tell so-and-so. Nope, not going. The apprentice who never said no always did what he was told. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. On my way. Jump. How high? How high? <laughs> right? All of a sudden, like, nope. <laughs> no, send someone else or come with me. I'm not leaving you. And when Elijah was taken away, sure enough, Elisha was right there. There's always going to be something. There's always going to be someone, something that's going to try to bump you off, pull you off, push you off the plan of God for your life. Don't let it. Elijah, in his ministry, did 16 miracles. 16. Elisha did 16 miracles times two. He did 32 miracles. He got exactly what he asked for, a double portion of God's anointing. But instead of going through some of his super-duper, amazingly wonderful miracles, <laughs> I want to share with you something that is, I hope I can stay dry, <laughs> something that is changing my life. Oh, this fell off. I thought it was my earring. <laughs> About five years ago, Christiana was driving. I was in the passenger seat. She was taking me to the airport. And we were stopped at a light on Rainbow. And bottom line, we got rear-ended by a FedEx truck. One of the big ones. It's like getting hit by a tank. I know because I went over and like felt the truck. It's a tank, Christiana. It's a tank. That truck pushed us, we were the first ones to get hit, pushed us right through the intersection into the two cars in front of us. So truck, three cars, four car collision, right? And my car was like an accordion, both ends. I got knocked out, and I could hear Christiana, Mom, Mom, are you Mom? And I, you know, came to... Long story short, my brain, about a month later, my brain started to, like, vibrate in my head. It would have tremors. <laughs> Strong. And you can, when you feel your brain shaking around in your head, I mean, it's, it's disturbing. It's not supposed to do that. And... It would do it all the time. And it would, and these, um, I had a grand mal seizure. I had a couple of other seizures. I had a loss of memory. I mean, I was a mess. But the worst thing of all was this brain and the, and it would go down my arms, 
all the way down to here into my hands. It'd go down my chest. Sometimes it'd go all the way down into my feet. I mean, I was like... And my son, Christian, has this thing where when he sits at the table, this is what he does. Oh, that leg's going. And I go, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. No more shaking. No more shaking. Neurologist, nothing we can do for you. Nothing you can do. We don't know what it is. You don't know what it is? No. To this day, I don't know what it is. No one ever diagnosed it, told me what it was, gave it a name. I don't know. Uh, what I did know, it would wake me up. It was, it was ruining my life. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't function. I couldn't think. And on the outside, I was like this. Nothing going on. But on the inside, right? I heard a sermon. Oh, one urologist, he said, I can help you. You can? He goes, yes. I said, how? What? what? He said, we can give you drugs for that. I said, you can? What, What are we giving me drugs for? What is it? He goes, I don't know what it is. I go, you don't know what it is? He goes, no. But you want to give me drugs? He goes, yes. I said, well, I'll pass on that. Thank you. Let's find out what it is first. We never did. If there's a name for it, no one ever told me, okay? But during that time, which was truly horrific, I heard a sermon by Howard Storm. Howard Storm uh, was an atheist professor. He was chairman of the art department at the University of Kentucky. And he said, the name of Jesus is a weapon of righteousness in the hand of the believer. And we're supposed to use that name. The name of Jesus is a weapon of righteousness in the hand of the believer. And we're supposed to use it. Well, the doctors couldn't help me, so usually anything Howard Storm says, I believe. Did I say Howard Storm, whom I love? That's usually how it goes. Howard Storm, whom I love, said this, right? And anything Howard Storm, whom I love, says, I tend to believe. So I believed it. And we sing about it. There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain right? We sing it. We, we, we know this, kind of, don't we? Did you know that the name of Jesus is a weapon of righteousness in the hand of a believer? Did you know that? Well, let me tell you, I was over 50 years old. Okay, so that means like 40-some years, 45 years or more, <gasps> more, more. Okay, now it's getting embarrassing. Okay. <laughs> All those years I've been singing those songs, right? 
And I had to hear Howard Storm tell me that the name of Jesus is a weapon. Nothing happened. In Jesus' name, stop. In Jesus' name, stop. Two weeks. Two weeks every time. In Jesus' name, stop. Nothing happened. But you guys, I didn't have anything else. I didn't have the doctors. I had nothing else. That's all I had. In Jesus' name, stop. I don't know if it was two weeks into it, three weeks into it. I don't know. But what I can tell you is one day it started, in Jesus' name, stop. And not immediately, 1001, 1002, it stopped. Every time after that, in Jesus' name, stop. 1001, 1002, it would stop every time. A friend of mine said, well, Madeline, you're a person of great faith. Let me tell you the truth. There were times when I was racked with doubt. Oh, in Jesus' name, stop. 1001, 1002, it stopped. God was faithful when I wasn't. Those two weeks when I continued, right? Nothing happened, but I had nothing else. So I, you know what that is? That's the mustard seed. That's the mustard seed. You've got nothing else. All you've got is Jesus. You keep doing it. You keep doing it. That's the mustard seed. One year later, one year later, I thought every time it worked, every time, every time, every time, every time. Because I have such a high IQ that one whole year later, I thought, why am I just stopping it? I should be healing it. So this is what I would do. In Jesus' name, stop. In Jesus' name, be healed. It would stop. Five years later, do I still get it? Yeah. Is it like this? No. Maybe every two months, maybe three. And when I do, this is how it happens. I go, is something going on? Wait a minute. And I get really still. Is that me or is that something else? What is that? Oh, it's me. That's how faint it is. That's how faint it is. And you know what I say? In Jesus' name, stop. In Jesus' name, be healed. Leave my body, never come back. I experienced a miracle. I told you about this last time, my friend Annalisa. She's a pastor's wife in Reno. She was diagnosed with brain cancer. It's squamous, I don't know, I don't know. It is the most aggressive kind of cancer that there is. 
And the doctor told the pastor, her husband, and her, get your affairs in order, you've got six months to a year. This cancer eliminates people quickly. It's vicious. It's over. About two or three years ago, she was talking to me. She was having trouble with her eyes. Use the name, Annalisa. Use the name of Jesus. It's a weapon. I, I don't think I can do that. Annalisa, you can. You can. Fight back. I don't think I can do that. Well, now, two, three years later, she's got brain cancer. God is building a warrior in her. This is what's happening. I found out about the diagnosis. I thought I got to tell her one more time. She's got to toughen up. She's got to toughen up and she's got to fight back. So I got to her and she said, Madeline, (laughs) I have to use the name. I've started using the name of Jesus. I was like, yes, hallelujah. Hallelujah. She's using the name. I said, Annalisa, this is good. So, I call her every day, or she calls me every day. In Jesus' name, Annalisa will live the full number of her days, and the evil one will not be successful in cutting them short. What else do we do? We plead the blood of Jesus over her. What else do we do? We speak directly to the cancer. Cancer, you have no right. You have no authority. You have no legal standing to come against the child of God. In Jesus' name, we command you to leave her body. The cancer must die. The cancer must dissolve and become nothing. Annalisa will live. What else do we do? I was, re- I was reading something about the weapons of our warfare, and I stopped and I thought in the scripture, my goodness, the weapons of our warfare, I don't even know what the weapons of our warfare are. What are the weapons of our warfare? Well, I got the name. The name of Jesus is a weapon. Hey, church. Hey, church. The weapons of our warfare. My dad went to Vietnam and survived and came back. If you were to ask him, what kind of weapons did you use? Oh, man talk, right? Oh, they used this and they used that and we had this and we had that. Oh, he could tell you exactly what they had. Uh, They didn't have AR-15s. But everybody in the 
U.S. military had an AR-15, even though it wasn't, like, assigned to them. They were assigned something else, but they'd take them off dead people on the other side. Oh, he's not using it. I'll take it. <laughs> I guess it's a really good gun. Anyway, you t- they know. He knows about the weapons. Church. We need to know about weapons for spiritual battle. You get cancer, you're in a spiritual battle for your life. Your kid is an alcoholic, a drug addict, a thief, a murderer. We, you're in a battle for someone else's life. God never leaves us powerless. One of the weapons of our warfare, the name of Jesus. It is a weapon of righteousness. Another weapon, the word. God's written word. The word of God is a weapon. It's a double-edged sword. And it's not just good for fighting temptation. Woo, temptation be gone, right? With the word. It's not just about fighting off uh, lies from the evil one. That is not the truth. For the word of God says, and you quote the word, it's not just for that. The word of God is, is um, it's alive, it's living, it's breathing, it has power. And if we memorize God's word or recite God's word, it will actually cleanse us from the inside out. Uh, I know of a story. <laughs> okay, we're going to have to do part two because I'm going to close it. I know of a, of a girl in uh, another country who was really, you know, she wasn't smart. She just wasn't smart. Now, there's different kinds of intelligence. So if your kid is, and that's, if your kid is not good in academics, doesn't mean that they're not going to be really good at making money or in uh, uh, mechanical things or whatever. You know, there's different kinds of intelligence. But she was horrible in academics. So her pastor, she, she barely made it through high school and with D's, and she wanted to be a doctor. And she said, I can't, I can't go to college. And her pastor said, memorize God's word, memorize God's word. And so she did. She started memorizing God's word, and she would memorize, and she would recite God's word, and she would recite God's word. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, which bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, but whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so. Okay, that's um, Psalm 1. And the reason I chose that is my first chapter to memorize because it's like seven or eight verses. (laughs) The whole chapter is like eight verses long. That was the first chapter I ever memorized. I didn't finish it, but you get the idea. She started doing that. Guess what? She went to, uh, she made it through medical school. She's a doctor. The word of God did a work in her brain, in her mind. We can pray the word. It, it, it's, it will 
help us to be free from bondage. It will help to heal us. Uh, from last time I was here to this time, Annalisa went back to the doctor. She had another MRI. Her next one is on August the 25th. She went to the doctor, and two doctors came in separately. The first one comes in, and she said, she saw Annalisa, and she went, you look good. Thank you. No, no, you really look good. I, I was not expecting this. She goes over. In comes a second doctor. He sees her and he went, he stopped in his tracks. And with his finger, he starts going like this, one hand on, on his hip. He goes to her face. You, you look good. <laughs> She's, because remember, it's vicious this cancer it eliminates people quickly you you look good and she was like thank you they go over they look at the mri they compare it to last one and they say well good news it appears that the cancer has stabilized in other words it has stopped growing this vicious cancer that eliminates people, the most aggressive kind of cancer that there is, just stopped out of the clear blue. Hallelujah. <laughs> it stopped. <laughs> yeah. The one doctor, he said, you could even say that this MRI looks better than the one before. And he turned to her and he said, what are you doing? And Angelo said that she dropped to her knees. She <laughs> he goes, what are you doing? She dropped to her knees, hands up in the air, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, and started praising God. She interrupted her praise to answer the doctor. She said, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's my faith. He is helping me. The name of Jesus is a weapon. The word of God is a weapon Praying the word is a weapon. You are the God who heals all my diseases. Hallelujah. By your stripes, I am healed. In the day of trouble, you will come and you will rescue me. Hallelujah. And she, we do that together. And... The name of Jesus, the word of God, praying the words. She speaks directly to the cancer, directly to the blindness. Cancer, you have no authority. I have another friend who got emphysema. She's a terrible smoker. So with her, okay, does the emphysema really have no authority, no right to be there? I had to think about this. Yes, it, it probably does. 
But you know what? <laughs> we have the name of Jesus. It's the most powerful word in the universe. Even emphysema must be subject to the name of Jesus. So emphysema, we take authority over you in the name of Jesus and you must be gone. We speak directly to it and, and command it to go. These are weapons of our warfare. That is it, folks. That is it. That is it. <laughs>